Hey, Grace and Peace Joe, this is Captain Roger of the Salvation Army Corps in Grass Valley. Uh, this is our weekly worship and study time, and I'm glad that you are here to join us online. But if you would like to meet us in person, it's every Sunday morning, starting at 11 o'clock. You can find us there at the uh, Salvation Army Corps in Grass Valley. Today, however, here on uh, our online starting spot, we're going to uh, find ourselves in Matthew chapter 7. So grab your Bible and take a look there. And Matthew, he wrote this biography of Jesus. He, he was uh, one of Jesus' uh, key followers, and he wanted to make sure that people knew who the Jesus he knew was. And in this particular case, like I said, Matthew 7, we are looking at Jesus. Well, he's speaking to a crowd of his disciples in Galilee. And by disciples, I don't just mean the 12 apostles. I mean all of the people who were following him, trying to learn about who and what he was and what he had to say and whether it mattered to them. Kind of like, well, most of us. And as Jesus was speaking to this crowd in Galilee, he's explaining to them how he believed people should live as part of God's kingdom. Uh, everything, someone who chooses to follow Jesus, um, it needs to know, is covered in this message. Uh, we call it the Sermon on the Mount today. We kind of try to isolate it off in uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. But it is one long piece. Uh, all the verses and chapter divisions and headings that we've got in there, those are all things that have been added later. And they they kind of take away from the flow of the message. But we are trying to look at the whole thing, even though it has taken us several weeks to do it. So hopefully you have found Matthew chapter 7 by now. Now, as uh, we're looking at what... Jesus is talking about here, he's covering everything that someone needs to know, both the details and the explanations of how to apply the teaching that he is giving them. And sadly, this whole passage is really ignored by most people. Why is that? Well, there's two main reasons. First of all, like I was starting to say, we broke it up into chapters and verses. And, um, then we separated those chapters and verses out and we gave them different little headers as if each was its own separate story or teaching. And the result is people are trying to understand the parts of this without connecting them together into the whole. And that will get you around just as well as driving a car which has its parts scattered around a large parcel of land. Wheel over here, fuel tank over there, engine block somewhere else. If you had never seen a car or ridden in one, and someone showed you just a seat from one and told you that that's how you're supposed to get around, what would you take from that? Well, we've got the same problem here in the scripture, because if we split up the Sermon on the Mount into pieces, that's kind of like giving people a glove box and telling them to drive. Now, the second reason people struggle with the message here is that it's old. Seriously, Jesus is speaking to this large crowd of people who live in the first century in an agricultural society. And here in our uh, American world, in the 21st century, we are very much a modern society with a whole different set of cultures, a whole different set of ideas about life, and a whole different way to approach teaching and learning. And Jesus, he probably spoke in Aramaic. His biographers wrote in Greek, and we take that and read an English translation, so we miss all the wordplay, and we don't understand the idioms, and we try to rewrite our understanding of what was being said and done by applying our modern views and standards and expectations to it. 
But when you do that, it's like asking someone to tell you how much two plus two is, and then having them tell you that the answer is lemon squeezy. Now, God made sure that each of us had a brain of our own. It seems that he expected us to use them. Understanding this stuff actually takes some thought. It takes some work and some willingness to discover what was so that we can apply the lesson from that to what is now. And as we've worked our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we have learned that the view of Jesus was that there were two ways that people could go. We could live as a subject to the kingdom of God, or we could live as a rebel fighting against that kingdom. And his call has been that those who are in rebellion can turn back. They could leave that life behind and start new by pledging their allegiance to the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, we've seen him give us tools for self-examination so that we could each evaluate how or even if we're representing God's kingdom and how we're trusting him to do things that a king was expected to do for his subjects, like provide for them. And Jesus has encouraged us to go and do for one another as God has done for us, going above and beyond to show love, even in situations where our rebel nature might call for a far different reaction. And when he said love, by the way, what Jesus meant was to make a choice to make the needs of the other our priority. The word that Jesus uses that's being translated as love isn't one that has anything to do with that warm, squishy feeling you get when someone you like walks by. Instead, it's a decision, it's a choice to treat each person as a beloved part of your community, as if they were already a valued part of God's kingdom, even if they are a sworn enemy of it, or even of you. Just as God showers blessings on the righteous and the unrighteous, on the good and the bad, to let them know that he's there and that he loves them, yes, even you, so we are to respond to others with love to help them recognize that there is a place for them in God's kingdom if they accept it. Which brings us into the last third of this message that Jesus is preaching. He's given us all of these tools for self-examination so we can take up citizenship in God's kingdom and learn to follow his ways. So do we use those to make sure we're good citizens? Or do we use our understanding of what God has called us to live out as a weapon against others? If you've ever caught yourself justifying your choices by saying, yeah, okay, I did that, but that guy over there did this, then you know the answer to the question I just asked is that our human tendency is to constantly compare ourselves to others instead of keeping our focus on our own relationship with our king. So hopefully you're in Matthew chapter 7 by now. Let's see what Jesus has to say about where the focus of his followers should be. Matthew 7 at verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, oh, here, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7, verse 1. Like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven and Philippians four thirteen, it is a horribly misquoted and misused verse, and I I know that's kind of a church insider thing for me to say, and I'm not going to go into details for the ninety percent of you who don't have any idea what I'm talking about because that's not what we are focused on today. But you can ask me later if you're curious. The point I want to make, the point I want to get across to all of you, is that there are a lot of folks. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. There are a lot of folks who pull this verse out by itself and think that it somehow means you're not supposed to ever judge anyone for anything in any way. And, and that's maybe what this one particular sentence by itself in English might mean, but it's not at all what Jesus was saying when we look at this sentence as part of the whole context of what he's teaching. And in fact, in Greek, the language that this book was written in, this confusion doesn't even exist because the word that's being translated as judge is a lot more specific. Uh, a better translation to try to help you understand this might be, don't decide in your own mind what is right and proper. So where it says, do not judge, that's what it, it should mean. Don't decide in your own mind what is right and proper. It doesn't mean that you can't look at things and and identify, oh, it's probably bad that that man has just attacked a person on the street. Yes, that's bad. It's okay for you to, to stand in judgment of someone assaulting someone on the street. That's just fine. But we need to look at this teaching, this do not judge or you will be judged. We have to think about it as part of the whole of what's being taught, not just a standalone sentence disconnected from everything else. If you are a citizen of a country and you live in its borders, what laws are you subject to? Are you compelled to follow the law of uh, some guy just walking down the street who saw you and decided that this is how things should be? Or are you under the law of the king or the, the rule of your country, as it were? It's the king, right? Are you the king of God's kingdom? No, I'm sorry to disillusion you, but you're not God. Um, you're you. I'm me. I'm not God either. Uh, I hate to disillusion you there. I'm sure that a lot of you were under that misconception. Yeah, except anyone who's ever heard me talk to me or hung out with me. Now, the truth is, none of us know enough to make the rules. Uh, we don't know what should or shouldn't apply or how it should or shouldn't be applied to others, frankly. And if you think I'm wrong about that, well, okay, maybe you should go check out some of the last chapters of the book of Job. Job tried to lay some law back down on the Lord, but the Lord then turned and rattled off this whole list of things Job never even gave thought to, as if they were just the beginning of the decision-making process that God goes through in our lives. Stuff like, hey, how do you get to where light lives? 
Where does dark live? Where does the wind go when it's done? Why is the universe? What is a chicken thinking? Why are there wild donkeys? How come some birds lay eggs and leave them while others watch over their young? What tells birds it's time to migrate? Can you crush the wicked and decide the natural end of their life? Can you make a brontosaurus? Or could you train a sea monster to be a house pet for children? These are some of the questions that God asked Job. Or to put it another way, if you're not the king or the king's equal, why are you trying to take his place by standing in judgment? So what is Jesus saying then? Jesus is saying, you need to fix your eyes on the king and follow him. If you want to evaluate someone's eternal destiny, evaluate your own. If you're looking at others to correct their choices or behaviors, your focus is in the wrong place. If you want to help others on their journey towards God, you know what? That is fine. Just make sure you're dealing with your own junk first. You got to get that two by four out of your eye before you try to find a speck of sawdust in someone else's. Paul and the other church leaders uh, in the early church, they said things like, follow me while I follow Jesus. That's helpful. It may open debate about what it means to follow Jesus, and that's okay. We need to wrestle that stuff out together. What, what these early church leaders did not teach was, hey, you suck and you're going to hell unless you do what I say. That's not what any of them said. They all said, look, this is Jesus. This is the direction he went. This is how I'm trying to follow him. How about you follow along towards God? Jesus even goes so far as to say that we don't even have a place trying to condemn those outside of the kingdom. That's that whole dogs, pigs thing that he said. See, pearls is how people referred to wisdom from the Torah, God's law, back in that day. And pigs were unclean. They were unholy animals under the dietary and ritual laws of Jesus' time. It, it wasn't an insult to non-believers. It was a way to make a dramatic point that if you take something that is precious to someone and you give it to them, even though they don't value it, you're wasting your time and your precious thing is going to get muddy or stomped on or eaten in the process. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be witnesses for the kingdom. We're not gatekeepers. We're not judges. We're not executioners for the kingdom. Our job is to show what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. Our job is not to impose the kingdom of God on other people. You with me? So this is how Jesus starts off chapter 7. And for those of you who want to dig into that a little deeper, come and join us in our in-person service today. If you want to talk about this, ask some questions, uh, argue about what I have to say, go ahead and post it in the comments. We'll be happy to take a look at whatever you have just as you have been uh, kind enough to take a look or listen to what I have. For today, I'm going to close this right here in prayer. Lord, thank you for uh, the teaching that you leave behind for us. And as uh, we struggle through the, uh, the times of our lives, the days of our lives, as we deal with people around us, I ask that you would help us remember that judgment is in your hands. 
Final judgment is in your hands. It doesn't mean that we can't have common sense, but final judgment is in your hands. I ask that you would help us to discern between that common sense and those times when our judgment is condemning those around us rather than teaching them your ways of love. Help us to know not only when we are out of line, but how to stay back on your path and how to um, properly share that love of Christ with those around us. We pray all this in the name of that same Jesus. Amen. Hey, wherever you go this week, remember, you've got nothing to fear because God is already there. All you got to do is go with God. Grace and peace to you.